Leah Purcell is an actor, writer, producer and director. Drawing on her own life experiences, at the heart of her work are female and First Nations themes, characters and issues. Her credits include the ABC series Clever Man and Redfern Now. As an actor, she's had roles in Janet King, Black Comedy, Last Cab to Darwin, Love My Way and Police Rescue, just to name a few. She is also a best-selling author for her anthology Black Chicks Talking, which was turned into an IF award-winning documentary. Her latest work, The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson, is a reimagining of the iconic short story by writer and poet Henry Lawson. Her previous adaptations of the story include the multi-award-winning theatrical play and a novel currently available through Penguin Random House. This new film version fleshes out the narrative, giving the title character a name, Molly Johnson, and highlighting Australia's difficult past, confronting issues of race, gender, violence and dispossession. Yeah, um, my mother would read the drover's wife or recite the drover's wife story to me. She had a book with the Henry Lawson short stories and drover's wife was one of them. And I would sleep with her and I was a terrible sleeper. So I would say, mum, tell me that story. And I was five years old and I know this because in the margins and on the page, I would write Dora, Dick, Nip and Fluff. And that was my grade one readers. So this story has connected with me for, a, you know, nearly 47 years. But I think what really drew me to it was I was five years old and it was the first time in a story that I used my imagination and I put myself in that story. So I was the little boy in the Henry Lawson story that protected his mother. There was no father of figure around. We lived on the outskirts of a town called Mergen. We had a combustion stove. My mother was the drover's wife, you know, she was the protector. She could split a log into chips. She taught me how to stack a wood heap and she would say, don't stack it hollow or a snake would get under. And that's referencing back to the story. So I think that's why it resonated with me. I used my imagination and that was the story I chose to put myself in as a little girl. And then cut to 2006, I was doing Jindabyne with Ray Lawrence directing in Jindabyne. That's the film Jindabyne. And on weekends, myself and my partner, Bain Stewart, who is the lead producer of the film, we would go for a drive. And I just fell in love with that landscape. And I said, we don't utilise it enough in our films or our TV. We went up to Mount Kosciuszko and I yelled out, I love this countryside, I love this land, I'm coming back. I think it's going to be the drover's wife and I think I'm going to be in it, in it, in it, in it. And it echoed around the mountain. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and then true God, cut to 2019, I'm on the opposite range singing out action and cut. So be careful what you put out there, eh? What an amazing story. And of course, I want to get back to how you've used landscapes so effectively and magnificently in this film in a minute. But, you know, obviously you gave us a condensed version. I'd really love to hear a little bit more about the creative process in taking what is kind of an iconic colonial story and getting such a powerful First Nations perspective into it. Yeah, look, Larissa, you know, when I first sat down and wrote it, I was I was a frustrated, I was a director in a writer's room and I think my writer in me was going, Leah, it's time to sit down at the computer. So, so I went home from this writer's workshop and grabbed the book, put it beside me and I said, I'm not going to reread it. I'm just going to remember what my mother told me and what I've got on recall. And away I went, seven days. And this was for the play. And when I finished, I said to Bain, this just doesn't quite feel like me yet. 
And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I can't describe it. And I said, but it's just not, it's just not rooted in something or, 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 or based in, in a true truth. And he said, he said, well, as us as blackfellas, if we can't be the truth tellers of our people's plight in this country, our struggles, mm. and who's going to? And as soon as he said that, away I went. And I grabbed my great-grandfather's um, diary that was written by white superiors of the time and used almost their words in some of the characters to get that truth-telling, that heart-hitting truth of our colonial past. And, and then it also allowed me to shine a light on a beautiful black man that was my great-grandfather who Rob Collins plays as Yarika. And, and at the time, it was 2014, there was an um, intervention in the Northern Territory. There was terrible things being said about black men. And I just wanted to make Yarika the hero of the film and put and shine the spotlight onto our Aboriginal men in our country, the ones that are doing the right thing, are being the best fathers, are being the best great-grandfathers, are being the uncle. Because I grew up with my uncles as my Aboriginal uncles as my fathers, and they were great men. So I just wanted to pay homage to them. And then it got real. I based it in truth. I based it in my family. So my DNA is throughout this, all of it. There's the stolen generation issue and that piece of paper that you see in the film that's my grandmother's story so as soon as I started laying in because I'm, I'm not a person that goes out and says if someone said to me Leah write an issue write a film about stolen generations you know colonialism racism I would have ran a mile but if they what I said to myself was write about your great-grandfather write about your grandmother write about your mother write about the strong women you know in the family Aboriginal women and women in general that especially women on the land that are leaving with this and that's when it turned for me and 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 also I'm a writer that writes in two stories there'll be one for my non-Indigenous audience and there's one for my Indigenous audience so when they come to this see this film they have the power and they know this story and I hope that they are empowered by it. I want to get back to audience in a minute but you did mention the character of Yadika and Rob you are just mesmerising on the screen in this role and of course this character differs enormously from being so peripheral in the original Lawson story and, and Leah's storytelling brings this character really centrally on the screen for us. Can you describe the character for us as you see him and how did you approach your portrayal? Uh, thank you, Larissa, for your kind words. I, I really appreciate that. I just want to echo what Leah said. I mean, it's a it's a homage for me as well, playing the character to each significant Aboriginal man in my life, and there are quite a number that are really responsible for my worldview. I can trace back to my uncle, Marcus, who was quite a bit younger, so he was like an older brother to me. And I, I thought about him a lot, actually, during filming and thinking about the character of, of Yadika. And I love that Leah's been able to look at this play that's part of, you know, uh, Australian folklore and reach back into it and give an Indigenous voice to that history because that's the voice that's quite often missing. Yadika feels like the character most close to me in, in all senses. And I felt a great weight of responsibility there because this is Leah's personal story. Uh, this is Leah's great-grandfather, um, Charles Tippo Chambers. So I wanted to do justice to this great man because I love Leah as well and I trust her. And I have to say over my very short career, she's 
been a, a rock for me and I owe her a lot. So I really wanted to do this film and this character justice. And I have to say, Tippo, for me, he feels like he's out there still. You know, it was such a, it was such a um, wonderful moment uh, in my career doing this film because I feel like I was really close to something that was close to me, even though we're talking about uh, an adopted Narago man, Googie Imre man. Um, so they're not my mob, my mob are Tiwi. There was still a lot of parallels there and I felt like it was a role that was really, really close to home. Talk about preparation. The, the preparation, I think, because Leah has a, a theatre DNA, um, it was it was kind of like theatre prep, which I loved. You know, I took to it really, really well. So we had, in my experience, the most intense period of rehearsal I've ever had for a film. There was two weeks of solid work on movement, on voice, on script. Um, we were holed up there in um, the inner west at these wonderful studios there. And I, I want to give a shout out to Albert David as well, oh. who worked with me on uh, physicalizing Yataka. I haven't been able to stretch those muscles uh, to that degree since I went through drama school. It was, Leah really left no stone unturned. And, and we really, for my view, gave it all in, in terms of delving into the character and, and how he moves, how he walks, how he talks. So it was a real complete actor experience for me. Leah, the drover's wife, the legend of Molly Johnson, has had several incarnations, really. You brought it to life as a play in 2016, a novel in 2019, and now we have the film. What did the screen bring to the story that might be different from the other incarnations? And particularly, I'm really interested in this amazing character of Molly Johnson. Has her character developed as you've taken it into these different creative forms? Yes. To in regards to her character, I guess I was very fortunate to have the play under my belt. So when I stepped up into the acting role in the film, because I had all the other hats on as writer, director, producer, psychologist, doctor <laughs> on, on set, <laughs> I um, uh, having that the, the weight of the, the the play behind me, I knew where Molly had to sit. Of course, in the theatre, the, the action is bigger because I'm reaching a live audience of 400 people. So what was beautiful and what I tried to keep under control was to bringing it back to almost nothing and just letting the words and letting her presence take us on that on that journey. I guess the other difference to everything else besides the play and the novel where it's all word-driven, it's the words describing the landscape, um, is with the film we're in it and we captured the beauty of it, we captured the spirit of it. We were blessed by the ancestors with the weather that we got. There's snow that fell, there's rain that fell. We've got winds, 100 miles per hour they were, on a particular scene. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, it was just amazing to be gifted. There's a, a couple of scenes in as the movie starts. There's a mist that dances for us in front of the camera and the, um, what do you call it, time-lapse director who caught it, he rung me on that day and said, Leah, I don't know who you pray to, but I've just witnessed something in the 30 years of me doing this this mist is dancing for me for three hours in front of my camera. And he said, normally the mist will rise and a wind will come and drift it off. So when I went back to the elders and I thanked the elders that I connected with up there uh, on country who gave me permission to be there, they said to me, they said, 
when that mist rise, that was a warning to the old, you know, in the old days that winter was coming and the mob would come down out of the high country and head north for the winter. So for us to have that in our film means so much. It's a warning to the action that's coming. It's a cultural element. Like every frame means something. Like Professor Pauline Clagg said to me that this is the first time and First Nations film has used a five structure of a dreaming structure in, in our cultures. And I was blown. Like I knew what I, I wanted to do that, but she articulated that for me because she saw it. And that was that was a massive compliment. And you know, the retelling of of the Bullock story, you know, that's 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 why we've existed since time began. We could, you know, carry it, that story down, which carries family, you know. So I just really wanted to to make that obvious in this film that it is a First Nations film, it's truth-telling, but it's also universal issues that all audience of all walks of life across the world will be able to to join in and go on the journey with Molly Johnson. It's about a mother's love, it's about survival, and it's about hope. That's the Trojan horse is the, the drover's wife, the Henry Lawson version. But as you said before, Larissa, underneath it is this black current and this river is thick with culture and issues. I was going to ask you about the really strong cinematic look you got for the film with your director's hat on, I guess. And you did really create such a strong sense of country. And I can understand what Pauline Clegg is talking about when she says that to you, because I got the sense that you were seeing the country the way a First Nations person would see that country. And I wonder how you were able to bring that through on the screen. How did you approach that? Yeah, thank you for saying that. That means so much. It's teared me up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because that's exactly what I wanted, you know. It was going up there. I did six years recce up and back, up and back, connecting in with the mob, connecting in with property owners. and, And I started to dream locations and the tree at the very end of the film that you see, I dreamt that. And it was just something I said, when I go up to that country, if I find that tree, we're in the right place. Whilst we were there, I found that tree and I said, we are in the right place. And that was the Yayak Valley. Look, it was it was a great consultation with the local people, black and white. It was also, you know, working very closely with my director of photography, Mark Wareham. We've got a 20-year relationship going back to my very first short film. And, and Murray Fredericks, who was the um, time-lapse director, he spent a lot of time up there. And it was really us sitting and respecting country. I made them mob just sit down, let's sit here and be quiet and and, and just wait to receive. And then Mark took what we received and we looked at lenses and shots and how to tell the story, you know, how to, and how, how I'm going to place the character within that so it gives us a full composition of what I'm trying to say through the lens, through the screen, and that the audience, um, you know, can, can receive and pick up on that. I also think the soundtrack is, it is, is an important part that gels that because when I was talking to the composer, I said, I want you to create song lines and sing these characters to country. And I think having all, and she just just lost her mind at that brief. She said, I've never, and she was a white lady, um, Queenslander, but, you know, hangs out with the mob, done a lot of theatre and docos. This is her first feature. She's also Saliana Seven Campbell, who's also a fiddler, fiddle player, 
for Bernard Fanning. So she had that music background and she said that's the best brief I've ever been given, Leah. And I think that helps to move us and, and, and join those characters, the landscape and allowing it all to speak. It is an epic visual feast for the eyes and the ears, you know. That's actor and director Leah Purcell alongside actor Rob Collins. They were speaking with me recently on RN's Screen Show.